I'll start tonight by telling you a story about a man named Dwight. Dwight didn't have an education past the fifth grade level. He couldn't spell. His grammar was terrible. And being desperate for work, he asked his uncle for a job. And his uncle gave him a job as a shoe salesman. And he gave him one condition. I'll give you this job if you, with me, will regularly attend Mount Vernon Congregational Church. Just to give you a little background on his behavior, Dwight was once chased with a sharp, by someone with a sharp knife uh, because he pulled a prank on him as an employee at the shoe store that he worked at. Chased by a knife. Go figure, right? He had been raised a Unitarian. He denied the full divinity of Jesus, did not believe that humans were all in all evil, so therefore he didn't see the need for forgiveness of sins. He heard the truth about God. He heard the truth about sins. And yes, even despite having those things in his mind, he said I, that he wanted to enjoy the pleasures of this world and wait to get saved until right before he died. And yet, that young man, and here's a picture of him, D.L. Moody, Dwight L. Moody, would be used to lead thousands and thousands of people to Christ. And how? Because of the man on his right. The kindness of a Sunday school teacher. A man by the name of Edward Kimball. He was his Sunday school teacher. He became a lifelong friend. And he persisted, Mr. Moody, at coming to church being a part of regular Bible study. Uh, He would later record, uh, Kimball would later in his life record that uh, Mr. Moody, uh, (laughs) that he'd never seen anyone whose mind was so spiritually dark. What a great way for someone to think about you, right? But that's how he felt about Dwight as a young man. I've never known anyone whose mind was so spiritually dark. But that changed in 1855, when Mr. Kimball went to the shoe store, and he had a very in-depth discussion with him about giving his life to Jesus, in which Dwight did, and the rest is kind of history. He would later move to Chicago. He would go through the streets and invite people to church. Uh, He would get on people's nerves with constantly asking them if they knew Jesus, um, but he, had, he taught a Sunday school class, and he would bring uh, young men, just like he was mentored, he would bring young men to his Sunday school class and teach them the Bible. There's a lot of different numbers, but one report that I read this week said that Moody may have well shared the gospel with over a million people and that put their faith in Jesus Christ. That's just what it said. He's also the founder of the Moody Bible Institute. So why do I start by telling you that tonight? But tonight we are uh, wrapping up our series on training in godliness. And we're going to talk about witness. This is where we've been over the last seven, I mean, excuse me, 11 weeks. And again, tonight we're talking about being a witness. And we're going to talk about what that looks like for believers. But we're going to read the scripture that we've read every week. 1 Timothy chapter 4, it's on the screen. It says, if you put these things before the brothers... You will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, 
being trained in the words of faith and of good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irrelevant silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. This week, uh, as we talk about being a witness, it has a lot of similarities uh, with the same message that we talked about with the tongue, because it has a lot to do with our speech. Uh, the tongue was very general in how we talk and the things that we talk about, how it's honoring to God, how it's glorifying to God. And as we consider witnessing, yes, uh, this speech in talking about witnessing should be glorifying to God, should be honoring to God, but it's going to be a little more specific in the things that come out of your mouth. So when you think about the word witness, what do you think about? I think most of us probably think about someone playing a role in a court case. You know, you've heard it. Do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? These are all things that we've probably heard uh, on TV and a TV show. But we've heard these words before. These are the words used in the court of law when people are to give testimony. When they are to be a witness to something that they've experienced, something that they've seen, something that they've heard. And in that moment, they are to proclaim those things of what they've seen with not 80% truth, not 90% truth, but the whole truth. 100%. You swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. As a Christ follower, we are called to be witnesses for Christ. Uh, who will present a testimony to the truth of who Jesus Christ is. We are called to bear witness to the truth of what Jesus has done for humanity and for us. And as we seek to train uh, for righteousness, for holiness, become more and more like Jesus, we must remind ourselves of why we train. We've talked about this every week. We do not train to earn favor with God. We don't train so that maybe we can tip the balances in our scales. And that way, if we ask God for something, he will give us our request. Um, that would be called legalism. And that way of thinking is very dangerous. We also don't want to think, well, I'm saved and I can't save anyone. And God is in control and I don't want to get in his way and mess up what he is doing. So therefore, I'm going to do nothing. Because that ultimately will lead to laziness, spiritual laziness. And that's also something that we don't want to get into. Um, the quote from Bridges, I did a little bit of a revision. The CS revision means, of course, be a revision. Here we go. As we train, we must remember to live our lives with our thoughts on God, on God's will, on God's glory, and depending on God every day in our life. We have to do those things. Because it is possible to live a respectable life. And still live an ungodly life. Now we've heard that. This is the twelfth time. And I want us to hear it one more time. It is possible to live a respectable life. And still live an ungodly life. 
And that it seems that God is completely and totally irrelevant in our life. And we have to think about God and God's will and God's glory. And as we seek to live a life of godliness uh, towards being a witness, let's see where it all starts. Let's start with the character of God. Number one, the creation declares the glory of God. Creation declares the glory of God. Psalm 19. It's up on the screen. It says, the heavens declare the glory of God. And the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech. Night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. This verse bears witness to its maker. It's what... uh, The psalm of David does. It points people to the power and to the majesty of God, the creator. This, uh, in Psalm 97, 6, which is in your notes there, it says that all people will see his glory. This is what we would call a general revelation, where God reveals himself to all people. This is how, when you see uh, a West Texas sunset, When you see the majesty of a twister on the plains of Oklahoma. If you've never seen that, it's good stuff. You should go try it out. When you're in the middle of the ocean and you realize, wow, I really am small. And there's a lot of ocean. And I'm very small and this world is very big. And this universe that I'm in is very big. All of these things declare the glory of God. They bear witness to who he is. Next, God reveals himself through the law. He reveals himself through the law. The first first part of this passage spoke to the creation bearing witness to God. Now we see in the next part of the passage that it's God's word that God uses to prove who he is. First, we had the general revelation. Next, we have a special revelation. Where God will reveal himself to his people through the Bible. Uh, Continuing in verse 7. It says the law of the Lord is perfect. Reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure. Making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right. Rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure. Enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean. Enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Remember this, we sang about this Sunday. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. The psalmist here rejoices in the perfect law of God. It refreshes the soul. It's trustworthy. It gives wisdom. It's more precious than gold. It's sweeter than honey. That's hard for us to fathom, I think, sometimes. But the Bible is from God, 
the Bible is to you. It's his special revelation from God to his people. It's been revealed to us, and it shows us a path to follow him. And I love how it ends. In keeping them, there is great reward. So let's see how we respond to that. He's given us this general revelation of who he is. He's given us this special revelation through his word. Let's see how we respond. We have suppressed the truth about God. Everybody flip over to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. We're going to camp out there for just a second so you can leave your Bibles turned there. Romans 1, starting in verse 18. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of man, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. That's that general revelation. In these things that have been made, so that they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give give thanks to him. They became futile in their thinking. Foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And exchange the glory of an immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. And just to be clear, when it says, although they knew God, it's not talking about people who have a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. It's talking about people who acknowledge God for who he is. Okay? Gallup poll in the last year shows that 81% of Americans believe that there's a God. Now, that's down significantly over the last 15, 20 years. But you think about that. 81% of Americans acknowledge that there's a God. But we look. Look at verse 21 again. Do not honor him as God. Don't give thanks to him. We're futile in our thinking. Already foolish hearts are darkened. We claim to be wise, but we are fools. We exchange the glory of God for images. And even though God has shown us, we take the truth and we refuse to believe it. We suppress the truth. And then look what happens. Next part, God has given us up to our fleshly desires. He's given us up to our fleshly desires. Look at verse 24. Therefore God gave them up in their lusts of their hearts to impurity. To the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. They worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. Who is blessed forever. You know three times in this section. Paul says that he gave them up. God gave them up. And and every time that happens it leads to idol worship. It leads to idol worship. They... Uh, they're supposed to uphold the Lord as holy. Uh, in exchange, they, when they do not, God says, okay, great. Have it your way. And he gives them up to it. He says, do what you want to do. And they exchange the truth of God for a lie. When you think about other religious uh, 
people. Most people will claim that we are all, all other religions as well as Christianity, we're all on a, at the bottom of a mountaintop. And at the top of this mountain is God. And the Buddhists have a way up, and the Muslims have a way up, and Christians have a way up. All roads lead to God. That is a lie. Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And that's how we see our world believing a lie, doing things their own way, and God gives them over to that. And God says, have it your way. And let's see if this sounds familiar. Look in verse 26. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relationships with those, with the, for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and are, were consumed with passions for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Now, as I read that, some of you are immediately, you think, well, that's our country. I also want to point out the fact that this list that he's talking about here, Paul, this is not an exhaustive list. Okay? He's just making a point. It's a representative list of what type of thing happens when God gives someone up over to their sin. You want it this way? Have it. And these are the type of things that happen when that happens. So it's not an exhaustive list. He gives them up to their sin. And next, we are without excuse. I know we read this already. I just want to point it out. We do not have an excuse. God has made it plain to us. He's revealed to us who he is. And if you're here tonight, and you're hearing the truth about God. You're hearing the truth about redemption through Jesus Christ and through the blood of the Lamb. You have to give an account for that knowledge that you've been given. You've been told. You know, I like to watch this traffic cop on social media, and it's called Fridays with Frank. Some of you may watch it. This is one of my guilty pleasures. And his job literally is to pull people over and give them speeding tickets. That's it. That's all he does. He gives speeding tickets. And it's amazing how many people will try to talk their way out of tickets. I mean, he pulled, he pulled this guy over the other day and he said, sir, you were going 96 in a 65. But, but, but you don't, no, how do you try to talk your way out of that? 96 in a 65. We will be without excuse in regards to how God has revealed himself to us and how we respond to that knowledge. We'll be without excuse. Next, what about Jesus? Let's look at the work of Jesus. The Gospel of John, which is where we're going to camp out for a minute, uses the word witness 14 times in the, in the Gospel of John. His purpose for writing the Gospel of John is to prove that Jesus is the Savior, uh, to prove that Jesus is the Son of God. And he uses this word witness to point out those facts. First of all, it says, God the Father bore witness about the Son. In Matthew chapter 3, you have the Trinity in full view. Um, you have uh, at the baptism of Jesus, it says the heavens were opened up and the Spirit of God descending upon Jesus uh, came to rest on Jesus. Uh, like, it looked like a dove, like a dove. 
And it says, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. So you have Jesus being baptized, the Holy Spirit coming and resting upon him, and God speaking from heaven saying, this is my son. God the Father bore witness to who his son was. I don't think you can get any more evident than a voice coming from heaven saying, this is my son. There we go. Next, John the Baptist bore witness about the Messiah. Isaiah chapter 40, uh, Malachi chapter 3, talk about the voice that would cry out in the wilderness. John the Baptist was that messenger that was come to, sent to prepare the way of Jesus, to prepare the way of the Messiah. And he proves when he sees Jesus walking towards him, he's baptizing people, he sees Jesus walking towards him, and he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The Lamb of God refers to the sacrifice of the Lamb for the atonements of sin. And by claiming that Jesus was the Lamb of God, meant that he was the Messiah that was sent to save God's people. And in verse 34, John the Baptist says, I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. So John the Baptist, he bears witness to Jesus being the Messiah. Next, the miracles of Jesus bore witness to who Jesus claims to be. So God claims that Jesus is his son. You have John the Baptist saying that Jesus is the Messiah. Then you have uh, the miracles. Surely if you won't listen to these people, surely you would watch Jesus and the things that he is doing would bear witness to what he's doing. You know, if I'm doing my research, if, unless my research is wrong, there were 37 recorded miracles of Jesus in the Bible. Everything from water to wine, uh, healing the sick, raising people from the dead. And in John chapter 10, there was, it was time for the Feast of Dedication. And the Jews gathered around Jesus to tell him. And they tell him, okay, tell us plainly. Are you the Messiah? Are you the Christ? And this is how he responds. Verse 25. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you don't believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. All of these works that he's done bear witness to who he was. And it says, yet you do not believe. So you have God, you have people around him that are claiming that's who he is, the miracles that he is performing. Next, Jesus bore witness about himself. The story of the woman caught in adultery. They bring her before Jesus. The Pharisees bring her before Jesus. Uh, They're trying to test Jesus. They're trying to trick him into doing something that they can charge him with. And they say, "Let's, let's kill her. Let's stone her. That's what the law tells us that we are to do when we find a woman doing this. And Jesus writes down in the sand and he says, he invites them that whoever doesn't have any sin, toss the first rock. And one by one, uh, they leave. Immediately following this, he speaks to them. Verse 12, he says this. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, 
You are bearing witness about yourself, but your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from, I know where I'm going, but you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. So Jesus speaks very plainly to them over and over again. He tells them who he is, and they do not believe. Lastly, the word of God bears witness about who Jesus is. When we read the Bible, uh, it should drive us to Jesus. When we think about the Pharisees and how they held the law so tightly and how they held it into such great you know, respect and honor, and yet they were unwilling or their eyes were blinded to the fact that all of the scriptures were pointing forward to Jesus. Uh, he says in John chapter 5, you search, it's up on the screen, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. You think that these scriptures are going to save you. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. He tells them, you know what, you hold on to these scriptures so tightly, but it's them that are pointing to me, and yet you won't come to me for salvation. <clears throat> Luke 24, Jesus is meeting up with some guys on the road to Emmaus, and he keeps them from recognizing him, and they talk about all the things that happened uh, in, in Jerusalem and Jesus explains to them in, in verse 27, he says, Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So Jesus is just talking about himself to these guys. They're going on a walk. Hey, man, you remember in this part? He's talking about all the scriptures that are pointing to himself. And then at the end of the day, he stays with them to have a meal. And they break, break bread and they give thanks and it says, immediately the men recognize Jesus for who he is. And then it says he vanishes. Okay, so this is one of those times where I wish I could go back in time and see immediately how Jesus responded to these guys in that moment. Can you imagine him knowing that they're about to recognize who he is and the face he must have made at them right before they did that? Like, <laughs> poof, and he's gone. I don't know about you, but that would have been amazing. <clears throat> they were talking about superpowers a few weeks back. I think that I would want that superpower, just to be able to and go somewhere else and reappear somewhere. That'd be great. Kenya, it'd be awesome. But he interpreted to them concerning himself. Jesus bore witness about who he was. Let's look at this last part, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is sent to bear witness to the truth of Jesus. Jesus promised that he would send a helper. After he left, the Holy Spirit would be their guide to guide them in the truth. He would be there to speak on behalf of God, to make known the things that were a note to them in the Scriptures. Another thing that the Spirit does is bear witness about Jesus. And up on the screen it says this, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, 
he will bear witness about me. So one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to let people know who Jesus is. And of course, the Holy Spirit would have a continued role. He guides us in truth. He speaks the words that Jesus tells him to speak. He declares things to the disciples that would ultimately happen, things that are going to happen. But ultimately, he is to bear witness to the truth of who Jesus is. That's what the Holy Spirit does. So God the Father bears witness about the Son. John the Baptist came to prepare the way to prepare to bear the truth of, of who Jesus was, who Jesus is. Miracles of Jesus that he performed bear witness to who he was, who he is, excuse me. The Bible clearly shows us who he is. The Holy Spirit continues to reveal to us who he is. And so, declaring who Jesus is, all of these things pointing us to Christ, bearing witness to who Jesus is. So let's look at this last part. What do we do with this? Training to witness. Someone who has given their life to Jesus to follow Christ. The Bible tells us that we are a new creation. It says the old is gone and the new has come. And this new life that we have in Jesus is no longer our own. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20 tells us that we've been bought with a price and we are to glorify God with our body. One of the greatest things, one of the greatest privileges that we get in this life is to tell people about Jesus, to be a witness to what Jesus has done in our own life. So as we think about training to be a witness, the first thing that we must do, number one, we need to know the gospel. You need to know the gospel. In 1 Peter, Peter was writing to Christians who were probably already suffering persecution in their life. And even in the middle of their difficulties of, that they were facing, they were to live a life of hope. Even in the midst of persecution, even in the midst of difficulties, he said, I want you to live with hope. And they were living as a shining example of what God was doing in their life. First uh, Peter 3.15 gives us a look at that. It's up on the screen. It says, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. So living with hope. Well, hope from what? Hope from our sins. Hope from separation from God. Hope from the wrath of God. And hope coming from who? That hope ultimately being given to us from Jesus Christ. We have hope in what he was able to accomplish. But in order to show that hope, in order for us to be able to give a defense for the hope that we have, we must know what we're trying to share. You know, one of the sad part is, is I'm having to learn sixth grade math all over again. Uh, I was not good at sixth grade math to begin with. And yet now I have a sixth grader and I'm having to learn sixth grade math all over again. Uh, I didn't like it the first time and I really don't like it now. But in order for me to show my son how to do sixth grade math, I have to know how to do sixth grade math. 
And it goes for the Bible as well. It goes for the gospel as well. If you don't know it, you're not going to be able to share it. That takes coming to church. That takes reading your Bible. That takes spending time talking to God. All of these things assist in us knowing more about him so that in, in this world we are able to talk about him. We need to know it before we can share it. You know, this is one thing that I think um, I have seen and been a part of many uh, trips and heard stories from other pastors about trips that churches take around the world on mission trips. And I'm not trying to toot Chris's horn again, but he does really good with preparing our teams to share the gospel around the world. Uh, and it's amazing to see teenagers who have prepared, who, have, uh, who are prepared to share the gospel. And when they get over there, they're like, all right, who wants to share? And they fight over who's going to share the gospel. And oh, it's my turn. You did it last time. I'm doing it this time. We need that passion. And he does well at teaching those things. And that's why we have taught this series the way that we've taught it. Because every week we've heard God is holy. Man is sinful. Jesus is the answer. Repent and believe. You've heard it over and over again in these sermons. We heard it, I think we heard it Sunday in this sermon. God is holy. We messed it up. We're separated from him. Jesus is the answer. God sent his son to be propitiation for us. To step in our place. And we should repent and believe. That's how we are to respond. We should be able to give a defense for the hope that we have. To anyone who asks for the reason for the hope that we have. You need to know it. You need to know it before you can share it. Next, we need to take courage for the opportunity that God gives us to share the gospel. The power to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ is given to all Christ followers. We do this by bearing witness uh, to what Jesus has done for us. Most people probably think that... Um, that is something that pastors should do. Maybe my Sunday school teacher should do. That's not something for everyone. I'm just not comfortable with that. Let's leave that up to the experts. Uh, yes, it is the job of all of those people to share the gospel with people. But it's also the job of anyone who has put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ. Uh, that's literally what it means to be a Christian. To be a little Christ. We are to go and proclaim who he is and what he's done for us. In Ephesians chapter 6, you will find Paul speaking about the armor of God and how to wear it and how to withstand the attacks of the devil. And Paul uh, asked for something at the end of Ephesians chapter 6. Look at this. In chap it's up on the screen. It says, To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me. That words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. One of the things that we need is courage to share the gospel. 
I want you to imagine this scene in your head. You just finished worship on a Sunday. Uh, your family decides you're going to go to Texas Roadhouse for some lunch. Woo! You strike up a conversation with your waiter. Uh, and you have the perfect opportunity to share the gospel. And you freeze. You don't say anything. You fumble through your words. And rather than look like a fool, you remain silent. You know that you should probably say something, but you don't. You keep your mouth shut. And then you feel guilty all day. You drive home and you say, man, I should, say, I should have said something. And I think we beat ourselves up in that moment. We think to ourselves, man, am I the only Christian that has trouble with this? Am I the only Christian that has a difficult time sharing my faith with someone else? You know, I think Paul experienced the same thing. I think Paul experienced the same things because he's asking for them to pray that he would boldly proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Guys, pray for me in that. Just pray that I would do that. He would ask them to do that. And just on a side sermon here, having courage doesn't mean you won't be fearful to share the gospel. Doesn't mean you won't have knots in your stomach. It doesn't mean you might not have the exact words that you need to say. And it also doesn't mean that someone will respond positively for the news that you give them. Courage means we do get butterflies in our stomach. But we speak. I think we need that courage. I remember a group of friends that we used to constantly get together and share meals together. We were all single uh, and we would get together and we would go to our favorite steak houses and we would order steak. And when it came time to eat, we would always ask our waiter. And this is something that maybe you can use as an opportunity to pray for your waiter or waitress and just say, hey, in a moment we're going to thank God for our food. Is there anything that we can pray for you about? And it just opens the door to have Christ-centered discussions. And I think we need those type of opportunities just to share the gospel with someone. Another point uh, to give you a little more comfort in sharing the gospel. You cannot save anyone. I know we've heard that. I've said it before. Landon said it before. You do not have the power to save anyone. It's God that softens our hearts. It's God that opens our eyes. It's God who saves people. Does he use us? Yes. I mean, it's the parable of the sower in Matthew chapter 13. That's our job, to spread the seed, to spread the gospel. Sometimes it lands on, uh, on the path. Sometimes it's on the rocky ground. Sometimes it's among the thorns. Sometimes it's on the good soil. It's our job to spread the gospel and pray that God would use it. But we can save nobody. That should give us a little more comfort as we go and share the gospel around the world. Lastly, make it personal. Every single person, I want you all to write that in there. And then I want you to put your papers down. Because I want you to listen to what we got to say after this. We're going to talk about uh, Andrew. Because I think every single one of us have a very unique way that we can share the gospel. I know we used to do D-Nows here at Emmanuel. Um, believe it or not, uh, Kathy Harrington used to be uh, the world's best D-Now preparer, and she, she got it going on. Y'all didn't know she used to be the youth secretary. 
Yeah, I remember that. She hated putting up with me back then. But it was awesome. But one year at a D now, we did what was called a target campaign. They had these three circles. And we told students, we want you to pray for uh, one student that you can share the gospel with. Want you, and here's what we're going to do. We're going to take their names and we're going to put them in this outer circle. And we're going to start praying for them. Some people put more than one. They put three. But we, we wouldn't let them put more than three. But we told them to at least put one. Here's what we want you to do. We want you to start praying for that person. No matter what you do, I want you to pray for that person. Pray for that one. Pray for that one. Pray for that one. And then we want you to pray for God to have an, give you an opportunity to share the gospel with them or to have a Christ centered conversation talk about the bible talk about church something and when you do that you can move it to the yellow circle you can move their name to the yellow circle i mean to the white circle excuse me i said yellow didn't i anyway so then as people started praying for their friends started having these conversations with their friends uh you started to see these names end up in the bullseye. And that's when they accept Christ as their Lord and Savior. You're like, well, it starts by praying for them. And then it goes to having conversations with them. That's what it means by making it personal. Personal, Because the truth is, every single person that you know needs to know who Jesus is. We all work with people who are lost. We have people in our family that are lost. And we need to start, one, by praying, two, by having just conversations with them. But three, ultimately, our goal is to lead them to where God softens their heart and does this work in their life. An unlikely character in the Bible. We could talk about a ton of likely characters. I want you to think about Andrew for a minute. Andrew was a disciple of John the Baptist. Before he met Jesus, uh, he was there when John would look up and see Jesus walking towards him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And in that moment, um, John, I mean, excuse me, Andrew looked at Jesus and said, All right, I'm going to follow this guy. He started following him. And he says, Immediately in John chapter 1, uh, verse 41 and 42, Andrew goes and talks to someone else, his brother, someone by the name of anyone, Peter. Now, we've all heard about him, right? Big mouth, boisterous, sermon, lots of people get saved, does lots of crazy things, writes books. Peter, right? We all know who he is. The rock whom Jesus would build his church upon. But guess who told him about Jesus? Andrew. Uh, John chapter 6. This is a story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. Um, I believe it's the only miracle that is in all four of the Gospels. But this feeding of the 5,000. And they have this conversation. How are we going to feed all these people? He talks to Philip. We don't have enough money. It takes eight months salary to feed all these people. There's no way we have that much money. And then it says, who brings the boy? Andrew brings the boy. He says, hey, this guy's got some food. Let's do something with that. Andrew made the connection. Next we see in John chapter 12, 
some Greeks show up looking for Jesus, some Gentiles. They go to Philip, and Philip doesn't know what to do with these Gentiles who are seeking Jesus. So what does he do? (laughs) He goes to Andrew, and he says, Andrew, these guys are looking for Jesus. And so what does Andrew do? He takes them to Jesus. I think Andrew was probably the first disciple with the understanding that Jesus was the answer for everyone, not just for the Jews. And Jesus was all about, uh, Andrew was all about introducing people to Jesus. He wanted people to know him. He was bringing people to him. He was a, what we would call an average Andrew or an average Joe, someone, just your average somebody. But he loved to tell people about Jesus. And this played out throughout Andrew's life. Um, Andrew is actually considered to be the patron saint in three different nations. Uh, what is modern-day Russia, what is modern-day Greece, and what is modern-day Scotland. In Greece, tradition says that Andrew was martyred, being crucified in a cross uh, that was in the shape of an X, where he hung for three days, praising God and praying for his enemies. Praying for his enemies while he hung on a cross. In Scotland, the Scots would carry into battle... Check this out. A white X-shaped cross levitating on a blue sky background. It just so happens to still be their flag to this day. St. Andrew's cross. In honor of what Andrew did for that nation. And they still carry that to this day. Did he go to these countries? I don't know. But why would these countries claim him if he didn't? He wanted to tell people about Jesus. He did it in quiet ways. He went about it behind the scenes. He wasn't out front. Andrew didn't preach any sermons that are recorded in the Bible. He didn't do anything miraculous that's in the Bible. He was just your average Joe. But he loved to tell people about Jesus. I say all these things to us because I want to see... I want you to see the difference that an average Joe can make in the world. Someone who uh, can step out of their comfort zone to witness to the world to the truth of who God is. To witness to the reality of us being separated from God because of our sin. To witness uh, to the truth about Jesus coming to earth to live a life of perfect obedience to the Father. Dying the death that we deserved. Only to raise from the dead on the third day, defeating death in the grave. Why? To give me hope. And that's what Andrew wanted to say to the world. You know, I've encountered a lot of uh, average Andrews here at Emmanuel. Makes me think of ladies uh, who have worked in the nursery. Who have faithfully, for decades, uh, held babies who've taught in Sunday school classes. You know, think about ladies like Miss Jerry, who's still up there teaching kindergarten Sunday school class every single Sunday. Tell them about Jesus. Many of you may have been in Miss Jerry's Sunday school class. Some of you are like, yep, it was me. I was in there. But think about all of the people who sat under Jerry's teaching, who heard the gospel, and they're scattered all over Texas and the world. All because of her faithfulness. 
You never know when a D.L. Moody is going to step into your life. And the faithfulness of a Sunday school teacher to pour into a young man who said, I've never met anyone as spiritually dark as that man. And yet, he would be used by God to lead thousands upon thousands of people to him. We should be willing and always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason and for the hope that you have. But do it with gentleness and respect. We should be faithful in trying to do that. If you know Jesus Christ, just like uh, an average Andrew, you have an obligation and the privilege to share Jesus with the world. And I hope that we are found faithful in doing that. And I hope that we have the courage to do that. Let's pray tonight as we wrap up. Father in heaven, thank you for opening our eyes to see who you are. Um, Thank you for opening our ears to hear the truth that you're holy. For giving us an understanding to our our, our terrible situation uh, needing forgiveness of sin. We thank you for Jesus who emptied himself and took on flesh in order to live the life that we couldn't. Uh, to die the death that we deserved, uh, to conquer death and give us hope uh, through his sacrifice. Father, I pray that the gospel changes us in such a way that we can't help but share it. We can't help but to go tell it on the mountain. Use us. Uh, uh, Give us opportunities to share that with the world. Give us courage. As we speak, give us knowledge of what to say. And Father, give us a desire to do it. It's for your glory. It's in Jesus' name that we ask all these things. Amen.